Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. You can find us in the Capital Region at 103.9 on the FM dial, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area, 1450 on the AM dial and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. And you can learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And happy to say joining us in studio today from New Hampshire State Police, Detective Sergeant Dick Peralt. Do I have the, the right title, sir? Yes, you do, Ken. Oh, all Good right. Morning. I try to stay on top of these things. and uh, <laughs> You're still the facilita- facilitator for the D.A.R.E. program? I am. And you've been doing that. You've been involved with the D.A.R.E. program, which is drug abuse uh, resistance education for how long? Since 2008, I, I was uh, certified to, uh, to be a D.A.R.E. officer. That's, that's a long time. You've been with the program for a long time, and we'll uh, talk about that. And uh, off the air, we were talking a lot about music. Yes. Because you're, you're really into, uh, into music, and uh, if you don't <laughs> mind me saying, a big fan of KC and the Sunshine Band. I am. And uh, you, how many times have you seen them? So I saw, I've seen Casey and the Sunshine Band, I think, three times at this point. Three times? Yes. I, I've actually seen them a couple of times. And, uh, you know, Harry Casey, the leader of the band, <laughs> the KC and the Sunshine Band, he gets up on stage and he, what an entertainer. Oh. I mean, he really puts on a show. Unbelievable. And it, and it brings back some memories for me, you know, listening sure. to the little AM radio back in the 70s. Yeah, you got it. Listening yeah. to uh, all those uh, great songs. Yeah. And uh, I'm, and, and he's, a, he's a little bit, a little bit overweight you know uh, like like <laughs> many of us uh and, but when he gets up on stage and he's got to be in his mid-70s yeah i always think he's gonna have a heart attack yeah. i really do he's he's energetic though <laughs> he it's oh, a great show he does he does and uh, a great great show and he's he's coming back to the uh Club Casino at, at Hampton Beach. What? When is he coming back? I think he's there on August 12th. August 12th. All yes. right. So uh, if you've never seen him before, uh, circle your calendar and you'll get a chance to see uh, KC and the Sunshine <laughs> Band. They're still around, folks, after all these years. They are. You know, a lot of the great bands are, are still around. We were talking off the air about Tower of Power, uh, who's going to be at uh, Hampton Beach on Saturday. Chicago is still very much around, and in, in all cases, you see changes in the band over the years. But you were telling me about a group that you saw about a year ago that does both Chicago and, and Tower of Power. They do, yes. Yeah, so uh, another trooper, a uh, friend of mine, talked me into going to see with him uh, Leonard and Friends. It's a uh, it's a Soviet Union put together. It's it's a tribute band from the Soviet Union. And uh, he told me that they actually sing Chicago and Tower of Power better <laughs> than Chicago and Tower of Power. So when I actually went with him, <clears throat> it's actually kind of funny because if you closed your eyes during the concert, you would think you were listening to Chicago. That's amazing. They're, they're very impressive. That is amazing. And uh, so if you ever get a chance to see them, and I'm, I'm pretty much talking to myself uh, because <laughs> I, I want to see them now, now that you have uh, told me what they're all about. But at any rate, Dick uh, loves the concerts. I, I do, too. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, so many in, in the local area. You know, the Club Casino, uh, the Palace Theater, Capital Center for the Arts, SNHU Arena, sure. uh, all in this state. So 
we are very lucky to have that. Yes, we do live in an area where there's a lot of uh, entertainment. For yeah, sure. and, and it seems, like I, I was telling you about Tower of Power, that uh, they were in New Hampshire on, at Hampton Beach on uh, Saturday. Uh, they were in, uh, in Laconia at the beautiful, you know, recently refurbished Colonial Theater in February. So the entertainers seem to love to come to they New do. Hampshire. They do. And we have a lot of great venues, as you said yeah. earlier. Uh, I know the Club Casino in Hampton. That's one of my favorites. I, I live on the seacoast, so it's pretty easy for me to get to. But also working patrol shifts, uh, first aid police over the summertime in Hampton Beach, I've had the uh, opportunity to see a lot of these entertainers, meet them, yeah, and yeah. Uh, kind of you know watch them for a few minutes because we're, we're in and out of the casino all night. Yeah. And... Um, a lot of fun. It, oh, it, it is. Them all. And it's it that is a, a, a great venue and uh, we have so many. So Dick is here primarily to talk about the uh, the Dare program and his involvement in it which has uh, been uh, for a uh, lengthy period of time. And and the Dare program starts at a at a very early age for the youngsters. It does. It's uh, the, the sweet spot for Dare really is 5th and 6th grade. Mm-hmm. Although there is a component that takes the Dare program from kindergarten all the way through high school. Certainly when those officers are in the fifth and sixth grade, we encourage them to visit the younger kids and the kindergartners. I mean, it's all about the uniformed officer in the school. And when they're in right. the school, uh, essentially they're superheroes. Yeah. So the kids love to see them, especially the, the real little ones. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure. And uh, I, I think everybody primarily thinks of D.A.R.E., uh, you know, dealing with drug issues, but uh, also life skills involved in the training, too. There are. Dare uh, initially started in California as a, you know, just say no to drugs, but it has evolved over the years. Dare is is uh, currently evol- it, it evolves all the time, and we've moved away from hey, just say no to drugs to making good choices, good life decisions, and and uh, you know, life skills essentially. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. So, uh, how does uh, state police uh, work with uh, with Dare America? I know that's the the umbrella organization, Dare America. How do you work and interact with them? So each state can has a Dare coordinator or a Dare facilitator's office. We state police happen to take on that role somewhere in and about the early '90s. We became the point of contact uh, between Dare America and the state. So uh, I have a unique relationship with Mark Medford, who is the regional director for Dare America. His family. His wife's family actually owns Santa's Village up oh, north, okay. yeah. so he's here an unusually uh, uh, large amount of time. Yeah. So we, we get together quite a bit. We talk all the time. So we, we do have that support from Dare America. Anytime I call him, anytime I call them, um, we get what we need right away. Wow. So that is a unique relationship. It, it really is. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And, and how is, the, the, uh, is Dare financed? I know it certainly does cost money. Everything costs money, so it does. <laughs> yeah. So in New Hampshire, we really don't have uh, you know a line line item or a budget for that. So we really rely on donations. Mm-hmm. We rely on uh, fundraisers and things like that. We've got a tremendous uh, amount of support from the communities, and there are quite a few businesses out there that are huge supporters of the Dare program. And I'll tell you, one of them. I mean, he's on the show every Friday. Tom Raffio from Northeast Delta Dental, mm-hmm. huge supporter of the program. Yeah. So we couldn't. We couldn't run the program consistently without our supporters. We, the state police, provide to them all of the workbooks, all the training. Uh, when you know a police department, let's say Dover PD, for example, they come in and say, "Hey, we've got three dare classes going on. We need, you know, eighty-five workbooks." 
Yeah. They don't pay for them. The school doesn't pay for them. We do, and we do that through donations. So we provide everything to these communities. The training for New Hampshire officers is free. We host that once a year, and uh, yeah, we do it all through sponsors. Do you get a good turnout from uh, the officers throughout the state of New Hampshire? We do. So yeah. we we have a regional training team. So mm-hmm. we essentially control the training for northern New England. Okay. So any officer in Mass, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, Maine, they all come here. Yeah. So we we train our officers for free. There is a there is a cost for the out of state officers to come in and be certified. Um, but we have you know, we're, we're hosting the training again this November. I think we're at five or six or seven signed up so far. Typically, we try and cap the attendance to between sixteen and twenty. Mm-hmm. So uh, at this time, it's May. I think we're I think we're probably going to hit that sixteen to twenty spot. Ah, very good. So that is in October. You said that's in November. November, actually. November, yes. and uh, maybe I was thinking October because uh, you have a day of race, the five k coming up in we October. We do. Yeah. So we do the uh, the annual Dare five k classic. Well, the Dare 5K Classic, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, we typically we used to hold that in the summertime, and we've essentially over the last couple of years brought that into the October area. So it's a it's a cooler. There are uh, less races, and we used to hold it at night, which I think affected the attendance a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to mainstream it more to be more like other 5Ks and hold it on a weekend morning. So we're uh, the location at this point is still to be determined. Um, it'll be somewhere in Concord area yep. uh, in October, and that, right. that date has not been set yet. I know uh, last year you had it uh, at the state police headquarters. Yes. And uh, it, it worked out well, and uh, so we'll, we'll see where, where it will be. We will keep people, people posted about where the 5K is going to be to uh, raise money for the D.A.R.E. program. Yes. So that, that would be great and get uh, teams together and, and that sort of thing. Yes. So always a lot of fun. A lot of fun. No. A lot of fun for family-friendly event. Right. It's great. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. It, it, uh, it is terrific. So that, uh, that'll that be in October. So at a uh, location to be announced. T- <laughs> TBA. TBA. Yeah, uh, a- a- as they say. Dick Peralta is with us. He is the uh, facilitator of the D.A.R.E. program here in uh, the state of New Hampshire. And it's been a program that has been uh, very, very successful for years, not only here in New Hampshire, but throughout the country, and I would probably have to say the uh, D.A.R.E. program is is needed maybe more now than ever. So we'll talk with uh, Dick. More about D.A.R.E. coming up. We have to take a quick break right here. It's Kale & Company Live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us on this Thursday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. In studio today, we have uh, Detective Sergeant Dick Peralt, New Hampshire State Police, talking about the D.A.R.E. program, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Drug Abuse Resistance Education, which is in our schools. Uh, 
Is uh, Dare as active a program now as it, as it always has been, or how does that uh, that stand? Well, it's um, as active and taught in the same way, mm-hmm. and very it's uh, you know it's designed to be taught the same way in all fifty states. Yeah. One of the things that we're up against at this point is uh, you know there is a lower uh, attendance of Dare being taught in the schools, and it's not because the schools don't want it; it's not because the police departments don't want it. It's got to do with uh, employment and, and personnel yeah. issues. You know, when when large departments and and, and uh, smaller departments are looking at uh, cutting cutting people back because they just we don't have applicants coming in. Mm-hmm. Those uh, essential those so to speak non essential services always get pulled. So if you've got you know a department with ten people, you've got a dare officer, and yeah. they lose their dare officer. Yeah, they lose a couple other people, and they can't fill those positions. It's you know, it, they have to put people on the street or yeah. in the school. They're going to put them on the street. Yeah. No, a, a, absolutely so. As uh, everyone knows who's involved in, in business of any kind, there is a uh, shortage of employees. Yes. And uh, such is the case at uh, uh, virtually all of our police departments uh, throughout the state and at state police. Uh, is state police uh, actively recruiting for new troopers at this time? We are actively recruiting for new troopers. We have uh, tremendous staff in recruitment training with some tremendous ideas, and they're doing the best they can to get the best possible applicants. Um, our, you know, to, to coin the, the colonel's phrase at the last troop inspection, we are not going to lower our standards. And uh, I, would, I would say that that's, uh, you know, that's true across the country. Departments do not want to lower their standards. We just don't have the applicants coming in. It's a it's a tougher job to get into now. Yeah, no no question about it. You, how long have you been uh, a trooper, Dick? So I'm on a year. I'm in year seventeen. At this seventeen. Point. Yes. And uh, you have uh, had a, a great career and will continue to. Uh, what would you say to somebody, uh, male or female, who is you know thinking about uh, a career in, in law enforcement? I would say to them, if, if it's something that they want to pursue and they're interested in, talk with the uh, their local police department, talk with state police, get a hold of recruitment training. Every agency has a contact for recruitment training. Uh, the benefits of this job go far beyond, uh, in my opinion, what a lot of jobs do. It's just a, it's a great career. I've been very fortunate. Um, it's not for everybody, but I would say that most people who are working in this capacity, truly enjoy what they do. Yeah. So what what inspired you? So, <laughs> you know, this, uh, I get asked this question once in a while, but, you know, ever since you're a little little kid, you play cops or robbers and you sure. want to be, be a police officer yeah. or a firefighter, right? Yeah. So and I, I'll never forget the day I was working at a store in downtown Dover, and Dover Police Department's always had a reputation for being very sharp. And I remember... Working outside that store, I was probably a sophomore in high school, and there was a uniformed officer working a detail, construction detail. And, you know, he just he looked sharp. He had the white gloves on. He would come in from time to time to get out of the sun, and we started talking a little bit. I still remember his name. Great guy. Retired from Dover PD quite a while ago. But um, that was the day, I think, for me that I said, I want to do exactly what he's doing. And here I am. And so uh, no one in your family was in law enforcement or anything like that? <laughs> no, but no. no, but it's funny. Yeah, it's uh my my dad when I was growing up uh, for probably a few years owned a taxi company in Dover. Uh-huh. And I remember there was an officer there, he's since passed away, Harrison Mackey, 
Sergeant Mackey. He would always be in the corner, sitting down, having a cup of coffee with my dad. Yeah. And, you know, I was just a little boy. But it's those things that make that impression right. on you. Just seeing that, that, you know, when somebody walks in, Sergeant Mackey would say, hey, Joe, hey, Bill. Yeah. And it's that community connection that uh, state police doesn't have in a lot of respects because we're not in those communities. We're, but when you look at those local agencies mm-hmm. – uh, that have those connections and those officers that uh, know all the people in town right. and talk. It's so important. Right. And, uh, you know, on those occasions when, uh, and as you, you mentioned, when there is a trooper or an officer uh, in a school, uh, I mean, let's face it, you're a celebrity. Oh, you, you are. Know? You've got the uniform on, you've got the badge, you've got, you know, got the gun and uh, and everything, and, uh, and you become a celebrity. And I, I think... Uh, you know, people, are, I guess kids, you know, would love to meet a, a police officer or a state trooper. It would be a big thrill for them anytime. It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's so cool for the kids to be in school and, and for you to actually witness that, whether it's, you know, as the facilitator, I have the opportunity to travel around the state and watch these officers in the school mm. teach these lessons and to watch these kids in these classes um, gravitate towards these people. That's what yeah. it's about. Yeah. You know, they're making that connection with the community. Is there any way to gauge, Dick, how, how successful the, the D.A.R.E. program has been uh, over the years in New Hampshire? You know, Ken, I don't think there's a way to gauge it. I would say that any prevention program, uh, I, I'm not sure you can measure that. Um, certainly, I'm not really sure. But yeah. what I can say is, you know, and, and this was said to me quite a while ago when I first got involved in D.A.R.E., every once in a while somebody will say, hey, the D.A.R.E. program doesn't work. This doesn't work. It, you know, it's it's antiquated. It doesn't work. And I guess my response to that would be, you know, if you're teaching a class with 25 kids and you prevent one or two of those mm-hmm. kids from becoming, you know, an alcoholic or, or, you know, become addicted to drugs, did it work? And it's hard to argue with that. You know, I've had I've had parents come up to me. I've had kids come up to me. I've had parents come up and say, hey, listen, um, the DARE program saved my life. You know, I, uh, when you start to talk to them, listen, you know, hey, I went down that path. Um, but I remember, uh, you know, I was speaking to this one girl who said to me, hey, I went down that path. But I, I remembered all the things that, you know, D.A.R.E. stood for. And, and it started to my what really what really solidified it for her is her her daughter was starting to have the D.A.R.E. program in school. Uh-huh. And she had been an alcoholic for a while and talking with her daughter and you know her daughter coming home and saying hey mom can you help me with this can you help me with this dear you know notebook or workbook yeah. can you help me with these things it kind of brought everything full circle to her so it was it was, it was a unique conversation right right it's not going to work for everyone but <laughs> but if you can get uh, you know one or two or three out of every class and, and prevent them from going that, down that road uh, then it would have to be uh, deemed successful. I would think so. And no matter what, you know, what prevention program, there are other ones out there. Uh, Dare is by far the largest and the most notable yeah. because it's got the name. It's had the name since 1983. There are others out there that work and that do well. And I would say that uh, you know any prevention program in the class, whether it's Dare, whether it's any of the others, um, it's it's a good thing to have in the classroom. And from when you started uh, years ago, there's a lot more elements out there, I would have to say now, of distraction. Not only drugs and alcohol, but social media 
and vaping oh. and, and and all that. So uh, I mean, it, it's it's probably uh, you know changed quite a bit since you started uh, your involvement in Dare. It has. I mean, when I started in in, in two thousand eight, uh, the curriculum's changed twice since then. But they've mm-hmm. since put in um, some components of vaping. They've put in components of of teen suicide, which is is mm-hmm. a terrible thing yeah. that we even have to talk about that. But unfortunately, it happens. They've put in those uh, you know cyberbullying lesson plans so that. We can talk to the kids about uh, texting and sexting and, and, and the things that they're dealing with now in the classroom, bullying. Yeah. I mean, there are all those components to D.A.R.E. And D.A.R.E., although the uh, core curriculum is 10 weeks, I mean, you literally could teach this for 15, 16 weeks. There's multiple lesson plans. And oftentimes the school will call and say, hey, listen, I want you to talk about bullying. Okay, that's another lesson. Hey, I want you to talk about cyberbullying. Okay, that's another lesson. So... The officer, they can, they can mold this program to be as long or as short as they want. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful resource to have. How how prevalent is uh, vaping? You hear a lot about vaping these days uh, in the state of New Hampshire. How do you sense how, how prevalent it might be here in the state among you know youngsters, you know, uh, thirteen and up, whatever. You know, a few years ago, I th- it it seems to me that when vaping first um, hit the streets, it was everywhere. Mm. I don't see it as much okay, now, but well, you know, my daughter's older. I'm not in the school all the time. Yeah. I'm not in the schools, but I don't hear it being as big of an issue as it was when I first started. Okay, uh, and, and I could be off base on that, but I don't. You know, driving through the communities, I don't see as much of it as I as I did a few years ago. Yeah, well, that's and that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Could yeah. could it be prevention? Sure. Could it be that hey? People are finally realizing we don't really know what this this is going to do to you five years from now. We don't know. Exactly. Dick, could you stick around for a few more minutes? 100%. All right. Dick Peralt with us from New Hampshire State Police, Detective Sergeant Dick Peralt. And Dick has been involved in a long time with the D.A.R.E. program in in New Hampshire. He is the facilitator in the state of the D.A.R.E. program. We'll talk more about that. And maybe a little bit more about music uh, coming up uh, in our next segment right here. It's Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Very pleased to have Detective Sergeant Dick Peralt, New Hampshire State Police. Uh, with us in studio today, the facilitator of the D.A.R.E. program, which has been around New Hampshire for uh, many, many years. And uh, and we were talking about uh, Dick's daughter uh, off the air, and, and she's gotten to be quite a, a celebrity. I mean, she's been talked about, written about. Uh, I think there's been, a, there's been a television feature about her. Uh, she's uh, the young lady who sells hot dogs in, in Dover during the summer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's got a little hot dog stand, Dover Dogs. Dover Dogs. Uh, yeah. She has a ball of that. Uh, yeah. That That is terrific. And done done pretty well, too, yeah. uh, going to uh, Southern New Hampshire University. And uh, she's going to be a senior? She's going to be a senior. Yeah. Yes. And uh, is majoring in accounting. Accounting. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she has had uh, you know pretty good uh, sum of money to uh, to count uh, the, last, <laughs> the last couple of summers. So she's going to do it uh, one more. More year, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. She's uh, she'll be out there a few days this summer, and some of the concerts in Dover in the summer in the uh, 
over there Wednesday nights. So yeah. So if if you get uh, a Dover dog, uh, right. you, you know where it's coming from. That that is uh, that is terrific. You know we were chatting off the air. You you got a text message that uh, you got a donation from a great uh, sponsor of yours. That is correct. As we're sitting here, I just got a text message that Hannaford's in Concord um, as a as a check for the Dare program that they're going to donate. Wow, that that is terrific. And I I know uh, I I was at the race uh, last year. And uh, Hannaford's uh, donated all the food, correct, or most of it? That is correct. And and it was cooked at the Windmill uh, restaurant, which is uh, very close to State Police on Loudon Road. 100%. Yeah. We've got some, uh, as we said earlier, some tremendous sponsors, and it's tough to put these events and races together with all the money going out. The You know, the, uh, the thing that we obviously strive for is to have the donations coming in. So, you know, with these companies that say, hey, listen, We'll uh, we'll give you all the food. We can't cook it, and then to have the windmill say, "Hey, we can't give you the food, but we can cook it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and together we we have a good collaboration there. See, as they say, it takes a village, right? It does to, to uh, make a program like this happen. And you mentioned that uh, the Masons in New Hampshire are, are are very generous as well. They are the Free Freemasons of New yeah, Hampshire. Yeah. We've had a longstanding relationship with with those folks as well. So, yeah. So yes. if if anyone else uh, wants to get involved, because uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, never uh, are, are you going to refuse any any contributions and the, the program uh, needs help to uh, survive and, and do its great work in the schools of New Hampshire. Uh, what uh, if, if people would like to, to donate uh, corporations or small businesses, uh, what would you suggest? So they can get in touch with me, uh, I'm the DARE facilitator for the state, if they uh, type in DARE New Hampshire. It'll bring you to the state police website, or if you go to state police website, my link is on there, mm-hmm. and we can coordinate that. Uh, we also have, you know, through the year, which is kind of sad, and these these hit home for me and, uh, you know, way heavy on my heart, but occasionally, you know, a letter will come in uh, with a check in it, or a card will come in with a check in it from a, from a family. And, you know, when you sit down and you read these things, Ken, sometimes it's a mother who's lost their son or their daughter to addiction. And they want to donate, you know, $50 or $25 towards that program because as you read further down, maybe if my daughter or granddaughter had had that program, maybe this wouldn't have happened. So, you know, and some of these people are on fixed incomes and you look and $25 is a lot to them. And I'm not here today soliciting people to send money, but these, these cards and letters hit my desk and it takes me a few minutes to sit and read them. And... Oftentimes, I'll just find myself sitting, staring at the wall for a few minutes, thinking about yeah. what this family went through. Exactly. And yeah. now, and all of a sudden, there's a check on my desk for $25, which is probably a week's worth of groceries to these people. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of families do uh, go through those those tragedies and circumstances, no, no doubt about it. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently in the state, and it's been going around for years, really, about the legalization of recreational marijuana. It was uh, recently voted down by the New Hampshire State Senate, but Governor Sununu mentioned that there might be a pathway to to legalize recreational marijuana. Uh, I guess every, every other state in New England has legalized recreational marijuana. We're the, the last holdout. What, what are your feelings about that? The... Well, my personal feeling is that I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, well, it's it's hard to be the facilitator of the D.A.R.E. program or to be involved in D.A.R.E. and say, hey, 
let's legalize marijuana. Right. It's tough to explain right. to the kids. It's tough to, you know, on other levels, it's, it's tough to deal with uh, as well because I think some of the states that have legalized this are having issues enforcing, you know, what do we do with it? How, how, do, we, how do we enforce this? And I know from my standpoint, just dealing with, uh, occasionally I'll work a patrol shift, you might stop a car, that you've got a driver in there that smells like marijuana. Well, the car smells like marijuana. And you start talking to these people. <clears throat> Oftentimes they're from Maine, they're from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things they say is, hey, I'm from Maine. And hey, I'm from Mass. But on the center console, there's a bag of marijuana. Mm. You know, well, hey, listen, this is New Hampshire. Yeah. This isn't Mass. Right. This isn't Maine. And those conversations are difficult with these people because when you take that from them, uh, hey, listen, I want that back. You can't take that. That's mine. And But it is, in my opinion, you know, when this case is argued, this point is argued a bit. Um, I do believe it's a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was so, going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a proponent of, of legalizing marijuana. I hope it doesn't. I hope we don't do it. I would I would agree with you 100%. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, just just from an aesthetics standpoint, well, for one thing, uh, I mean, now since it's been legalized in Massachusetts, I mean, if you're walking the streets of Boston, you, you can smell it almost everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I had the same experience uh, in New York. Where it's uh, where it's legalized, the recreational use of marijuana is legalized, and you, you smell it almost everywhere. So just from that perspective, but as you mentioned, uh, and and you have had a lot more training in this than uh, I'm sure anybody that's listening uh, has had, or certainly myself, that it is a gateway drug to other other things. I do believe so. Yeah, and you know, I I seem to have one of those noses that I can smell marijuana. You know, half a mile away. You yeah. know, and I've been on I've been on roads before behind, you know, cars and thinking, well, the car in front of me, I can smell it coming in through the vent. Really? Yeah. But uh, yeah. if you've got time for a, a, a brief story, I'll sure. tell you. I'll sure. tell you a personal story. Yeah. My daughter's 16th birthday. We had her 16th birthday with her friend. We took we took them and a bunch of their friends to a place right over the line in York, Maine. Really, really cool place. I'm mm. not going to mention the name okay. of the establishment. It's an outside venue. They had fire pits and they had all kinds of games for the kids. This is a few years ago. And the one thing that keeps coming to mind with me is I've got all these kids there and all I can smell is marijuana. Mm. So it was legalized in Maine at that point. Yeah. So I actually went over to the food stand to get something and the, the cooks out back were smoking marijuana out back, <laughs> which to me yeah. is odd. Yeah. So I, the owner of the establishment kind of walked by and I said, hey, I got a question. What's up? How, how is it possible? I've got this 25 kids here. How is it possible that I'm smelling marijuana? Well, you know, it's legal in Maine. And I said, yeah, but you don't have to allow it to your establishment. There's people at the bar smoking marijuana. So these kids now are all coming up to me saying, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? And now I've got to explain that. I said, you got great food. You got a this is a tremendous place, yeah. but I won't come back. I don't. And he, he kind of yeah. looked at me and said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I just, hey, what don't we? I'm a, first of all, I'm a police officer in New Hampshire. I don't want to smell this. I don't. I don't want to smell this with 25 kids here, and have to explain to them why we're at an establishment where people smoke marijuana. Yeah, wow, and that that is amazing, and I'm sure they they uh, portray themselves as a as a family location. 
and yet they uh, allow that to happen. Totally, totally do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not saying it was a terrible place. It's a, it's if it wasn't for that component, Ken. Yeah, it it's a wonderful. Be terrific. Place. Yeah, yeah. But there is that component, and uh, you know, it, 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 and I, I'm I'm glad to say New Hampshire is the the last bastion of uh, no recreational uh, marijuana uh, in New England, and uh, let, let's hope. They keep it that way. I do. I don't yeah. want. I don't want that same thing, which isn't going to happen now, in New Hampshire, to start happening in New Hampshire. Right. I just it. I don't know. Exactly. And, and it's got to be difficult for law enforcement officials, uh, officers like like yourself and and others uh, who patrol, who stop somebody and and find marijuana in in this case. Uh, in, in the cars because it is legal in the other five states in, in New England. It is. And yeah. it affects, you know, I mean, we have to deal with it roadside with yeah. impaired drivers and things like that. It's just, just more difficult. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm sure it, it sometimes uh, also leads to finding other drugs in the vehicle Absolutely. Uh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you stay a few more minutes, Dick? I can. All right. All right. We're going to hold Dick here till 9 o'clock. We're going to hold him hostage till uh, 9 o'clock. How about that? Holding a state trooper hostage <laughs> here at WKXL. NHtalkradio.com. Dick Peralt is with us from New Hampshire State Police. And uh, we'll be right back. back kale and company live for this thursday heading down the home stretch with detective sergeant dick peralt of new hampshire state police who has been involved in the uh, dare program drug abuse resistance education for a number of years uh, here in, in the state and uh, dick has done an incredible job with that along with uh, other uh, state troopers and the law enforcement officers from around the state uh, of New Hampshire, but as we mentioned uh, earlier, Dick, uh, no matter what business you're talking about or what organization you might be referring to, uh, every place seems to have a, uh, a shortage of workers. So again, as we said before in the uh, earlier portion of this show, if you have an interest uh, perhaps in uh, pursuing a career uh, in law enforcement, uh, maybe uh, become a state trooper uh, ultimately. Uh, what what about an, the educational background, Dick? What uh, what is required to be a, a state trooper, or simply uh, you know a law enforcement uh, someone in law enforcement throughout the state? So each state or each town they have their own uh, you know policies on mm -hmm. that. Uh, I know with the state now, and I don't know exactly the criteria. It, it changes from time to time, but I believe at this point it's a bachelor's degree or. Uh, two years active military or three years prior law enforcement. There's usually a combination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm probably off base with exactly those numbers because they do they do seem to, to change from time to time. Uh, some, some of the smaller departments and, and local departments uh, don't require or don't say, hey, listen, if you have military, we'll take you in lieu of education or so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of rests on each department. I see. Yeah. yeah. So, and sometimes experience is better than, you know, if you're if you're a police officer in, you know, let's say a, a town for, uh, you know, five or six years. Yeah. That's probably, in my opinion, going to get you further in my mind than a four-year degree right out of school who's never had any life experience. Right. Yeah. So. And and now nowadays it's very common to see 
uh, ads in newspapers uh, looking for police officers in uh, in various cities and towns in New Hampshire. I think every agency, including us, really trying to think, uh, you know, and, and I, I don't always like to use this term, but thinking outside the box. Yeah. Uh, because they, that term sometimes is a little more overused than we'd like. But I think that these agencies, to include us, have to now think outside the box and think, what you know, what do we, what do we really how do we get these people? Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that our recruitment training unit did a few years ago, and they probably, I hope they're still doing it, is they started to, we do a lot of job fairs at colleges and right. a lot of stuff yep. like that. But yep. they, I think they started thinking a while back, hey, listen, if we get to these colleges, it's probably already too late. These guys and girls already have what they want to do lined up. They want to go into accounting. They want mm-hmm. to go into, you know, be a vet tech or a veterinarian or whatever. Right. And they started to target the middle schools, they started to talk about, wow. hey, let's go into the elementary school yeah. and talk to the kids because that's where they that's where they really develop, hey, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And they start thinking along those lines rather than going into a college in their senior year and trying to recruit people who are already on track to go into finance or whatever. So, yeah. And I think it's, you know, may, it may not work for a couple of years because we, obviously if you're going into a fifth grade now, they're not going to be ready for a few and, years. And, right, exactly. But that may help keep them and on track. Plants the seed. Right, does yeah. plant the seed. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that, that's a great idea. As, as you mentioned, you, you've been going into colleges in the past, but um, in most cases the major has been determined by that time. So Right. Yeah, so now we're now going to the, to the middle schools. Uh, you mentioned the uh, curriculum for D.A.R.E. Has, has changed. It's probably... Uh, ever evolving the curriculum, but uh, you know we hear a lot of focus these days on on mental health issues, as you uh, alluded to, uh, teen suicides and, and and that sort of thing. I, I'm sure that that's been stressed more in recent years uh, in in the Dare program. It has. So there is a uh, teen suicide uh, lesson plan. It is very. Um, lengthy and difficult to teach there you know we have an officer on the training team who was a dare officer for probably five or six years in in alton and uh in new hampton she's recently left law enforcement to go in and be a mental health counselor she has a Mm. master's degree in that now but she's still on the training team because she taught there for so long. She still has those credentials. And she is the one that we, when we host these uh, two-week trainings, she is the officer that I want to present that block of instruction to these officers because it is uh, her area of expertise, mental mm-hmm. illness. Right. But she's very good at it. But when I sit down and talk with her about it, she's like, wow, there's a lot to cover in like a two-block lesson. It's yeah. just a lot. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, it's a very comprehensive lesson. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, Dare has the keeping it real curriculum. Yes, uh, which is uh, refuse, explain, avoid, and leave. Yes, talk about that a little bit. So that gives the kids um, some other options. So we focus more on life skills, and 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 so one of the things really with Dare. Um, or any kids, is they find themselves in these situations. So in the middle school, the keeping it real curriculum, refuse, explain, um, keeping it real. So in other words, if, if, if somebody gets, you know, hey, he's walking to the store with his buddies and 
Another friend comes up and says, hey, you guys want to try some, want to try smoking some cigarettes? He's already there, right? So we show them how to refuse that in a way that is, is, is not going to uh, put them in a bad light. You know, we, we show them a way to explain it. You know, hey, I don't want, I don't want to smoke a cigarette because you know what? My mom and dad would be really upset. He's explained to that person, mm-hmm. um, leave the situation. Hey, I can't do that. I play basketball. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be have shortness of breath, and 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 then walk away. So we we give them those skills, and put those scenarios out there for them to, to be able to uh, to use that stuff in real life. Yeah, no, because uh, sometimes uh, peer pressure is a very powerful thing. There's no no question about that. Extremely powerful. Yeah, yeah. And and you know we tell the kids too, and you I'm sure you know peer pressure can be good and it can be bad. You know, so good peer pressure. You know, yep. you're on a basketball team. Hey, right. we're not going to stop practicing until, till, uh, you know, we get a couple extra baskets. Yep. Come on, you can do this. That's good peer pressure. Yeah. Bad peer pressure, hey, let's go up behind the building and have know, a drink few some, beers. Yep. Drink some <laughs> twisted teas. Yeah, right. You, you know what I mean? And yep. then get in the car and drive. That's bad right. peer pressure. Exactly. So it can it can work both ways. There's no, 100%. no doubt about that. And it, and it seems to me, or at least in, in my casual observation of it, that those youngsters, whether they be at the junior high level, uh, even younger, or high school level, that are involved in a, a number of activities, whether it be uh, sports, whether it be a band, whether theater, whatever, whatever it may be, are less likely, and I'm not saying it's 100% true, but less likely to get involved with these things. I think that would be an accurate statement. And I think a lot of, you know, I've got some friends, uh, one of my friends, my best friends, New Hampshire State Trooper, he's got three kids, constantly on the move. Yeah. You know, lacrosse, uh, yeah. you know, hockey, doing all this stuff. Those kids, <laughs> even if they wanted to do, you know, smoke smoke cigarettes and vape and drink beer, they don't have time. You know, he's always, they're always doing stuff. And yeah. But the component there, too, also, Ken, is there are coaches. There are people that these kids – are turning to and looking up to, you know, and those you've got those coaches and those those people saying, "Hey, you don't have time to drink a beer, man. You've got you you get out there on the field and start playing." And I think that's that's a good thing for these kids too. They have that person, yeah, right there to say, "Hey, you start smoking, you're not going to be able to make that touchdown because you're not going to be able to run across the field." So yeah, yeah, I think you know, and it's it's not a hundred percent cure all by any no. any stretch of the imagination. But I, and and a lot of times it's uh, you know parentally driven as well. There are many parents like the the one you just referred to that uh, you know love to see their youngsters involved in activities and and unfortunately others that that couldn't care less about what their their kids are doing. Yes. I think those are probably the ones that fall into these traps uh, more or at least more likely to. Uh, Dick Peralta is here. So, so Dick, before I, I let you go today, I mean, I have to ask you, uh, what, what's your next concert going to be? What, what, <laughs> who, who are you going to, who are you going to see next? Looks like it's going to be Foreigner and Loverboy. Foreigner and Loverboy. Oh, actually, actually, no, that's not correct. Uh, my next concert is going to be Air Supply. Ah, believe it or not, they're yeah. coming to uh, the club casino. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then the Little River Band. Oh man, who's still really good? Yeah, even though there's I've only... never seen a Little River Band. I've heard them on, on the radio many times, and no original members left. But there's no one, original, but yeah. one guy that's been with them since '81. 
Well, and he's, well that's, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. original, right? Yeah. yeah. He's written a lot of the songs and sing. So, and then, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, Jer- uh, Foreigner and Loverboy. My next is Tower of Power on, on Saturday in, in Hampton at the Club Casino, uh, which is a great concert venue. Tower of Power, they've been around 55 years. They're celebrating <laughs> yeah. their 55th anniversary. They have three original members of Tower of Power after 55 years. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Dick Peralt, we thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, Detective Sergeant Dick Peralt, New Hampshire State Police, State Facilitator for the uh, D.A.R.E. program. If there's anything you need to know about D.A.R.E. or want to make a contribution to this great program, uh, contact uh, Dick at State Police, and he'll be uh, happy to accommodate you. Uh, no, No question about that. So, Dick, thanks for stopping in. Always great to see you. Thank you, Ken. Dick Peralt, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, that'll bring to an end this edition of Kale and Company Live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Again, if you missed any of this conversation or want to hear it again, we're going to play it uh, right after 7 o'clock tonight here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Have a great Thursday, everybody.